Amazing to see so many of you here this morning on a uh, holiday weekend. I was worried about that, and I thought, well, you know, Georgia uh, beat uh, whoever they were playing, Austin Pay, uh, 45 to zip. I thought, yeah, people are going to come back for, uh, for Sunday. They must have left at halftime after that blowout. But it's so good, uh, even on holiday, we can see such a great crowd as we kick off a new series called Big Rocks. And uh, what, this, what the significance is here, that there, there are certain priorities of life, like the big rocks in the jar, that, that make and bring order to everything else. The, the illustration is a classic illustration about if, if, you, if you take that, that, that jar full of, of big rocks and little smaller uh, gravel and, uh, and, and water and sand, and if you, if you take, the big, take everything out and you put the big rocks in last, they don't fit. But if you put the big rocks in first, everything else shuffles in. But, but, but bigger than, than just some idea of, of sort of the, the priorities that help bring order to your schedule, we're talking about the, the values, the, the priorities that, that bring order to chaos in, inside of you. Because, because the, the, the chaos that we bring to the world or see in the world starts first in us. Think about that. Every bit of the chaos and conflict that you see meted out on humanity that comes from the hand of a person first began inside each, each of us. It's a condition that we have, this, this battle within. And so what are the values, the priorities that bring order to that, that chaos now, let me illustrate what I'm talking about as we kick off this new series. So uh, the other morning I was, I was making breakfast and uh, I, uh, I, I have this mixture of cereals and I, I throw in some, um, some blueberries. And I was, I was pouring these blueberries in. One of these blueberries kind of went, went stray, went errant, and it started to roll. And even without even thinking or deciding, this blueberry falls off the counter and I just reached down, and I caught it, like, right before it, it hit the ground. It was just amazing. And I'm, I'm looking around, and nobody saw this. You know, it was one of those moments, like, yes. And I was like, I was like the Roger Federer of blueberry catching. You know, it was like, bam, amazing. And I, sometimes you have to throw your own party, you know. I, I mean, it's like there's nobody there to see. I was like, yeah, yeah. So I, I, threw, I was throwing my own party. I was going into a little dance, and I knocked the rest of the blueberries off the counter, and they went all over the kitchen floor, and uh, true story, with a little bit of embellishment, right there in the same moment, the highs and lows, the, the amazing engineering of the human body and our amazing and not so amazing ability to mess things up, what are the priorities that bring order to human chaos? Today we're going to be talking about the, the first, really, really last week was the first, we didn't have time to kick off the series, but last week, worship, you know, gathering together for worship, that God does things in our midst that he doesn't do elsewhere. So gathered is, is, is really the first of the series, but, but today we're talking about being amazed. Amazed with what? Amazed with, with grace, with grace. A grace, a lot of times people think of grace as saying grace, all right? So, 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 so saying a table blessing or, or, or somebody being graceful, you know, um, maybe not with blueberries, but graceful on the dance floor, a ballerina. But grace is, is something bigger and deeper and wider and, and truer and, and more profound. Grace 
is really the unconditional love of God. It's God's unconditional election or his, his unmerited favor of us. That, that there's nothing we can, we can do to earn God's favor, but he gives it to us anyway. Charis or grace, we get our word charity from that, that God takes action in our needy lives. This morning, we're going to be talking about how to, to continue to grow in grace as we turn to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 4, and we ask ourselves, what is so amazing about grace? Hebrews 4, starting with verse 14. If you have your Bibles, open up to, to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll start with verse 14. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, ESV. Since then we have a great high priest, referring to Jesus. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Beautiful words. May God bless us through the reflection on this, his holy word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you bless us now, not only to understand this word, but to receive it, to pursue grace into every nook and cranny of our lives, that we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a discussion between these Oxford dons, a discussion going on. Professors, uh, tenured professors at Oxford, decades ago, and uh, one particularly famous Oxford professor, C.S. Lewis, walked in and heard them arguing, what is it that makes Christianity different from all other faiths? And one was saying, well, it may be the Trinity, or another was saying, no, it was the Incarnation. And so they were bringing out these big theological concepts, and Lewis walks in and he said, no, this is an easy question to answer. It's grace. Grace is, is the gem, it's the, it's, the central, it's the central gift that God gives, he brings to the world that makes all of the difference between us trying to jump over the deep and wide chasm to get to him versus God, by his grace, reaching all the way into our lives. So what's so amazing about grace? Grace. Besides the fact that it's a free gift to us, what's amazing to, a, uh, to, to us about grace here and now in the moment? That's what we're going to be talking about. What is so amazing about grace right here and now in your daily life? If we're going to understand what's so amazing about grace, I think first we have to understand what's so difficult about it. Because there's, there's the idea that, that grace is just so free that it's not really worth much. You know, sometimes you, 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 when you get something for free, you don't really value it very much, right? 
I remember one time we did a big event for, for, for students and, uh, and, and very few of them came. And the next year we charged $3 and we had a big crowd. You know, I mean, you, you kind of have a sense that, that unless you're invested, what, what are we called to invest here? What, how is it that we value grace? Well, there's something difficult about grace. First, if we're going to understand what's so amazing about grace, we need to ask ourselves, what's so difficult about it? And what's difficult about it is that grace offers us real help when we stop hiding. It offers us real help when we stop hiding. You saw at the very, uh, the very last, it says, to find grace to help in our time of need. That's now. That's now. That's, that's here now. That's not there and then. That's not off in heaven somewhere. Grace brings real power, real help to us. But the problem is, the difficult thing about grace is that we have to admit that we have a need. And that can be kind of inconvenient. That's understatement. I thought it would be funnier than that. That can be kind of inconvenient to admit that you have a need. Uh, now, now, let's dig into that for just a minute. There are a couple different ways that, that, that make us avoid or hide instead of getting help from grace, we hide. A couple of different reasons why we hide. One is our pridefulness or our pride. Out of pride, we don't get the help we need, we hide. Now, even, even though you may have experienced grace, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a believer, if you trust in Jesus Christ for your life and, and for your salvation, even if you've made that commitment somewhere around the, along the way, we, we, there are places in our lives where we don't continue to pursue grace. We don't continue to grow in grace. Instead, we hide. And, and one of the reasons is our pride. Donald Miller tells a story in his book, uh, Blue Like Jazz, where he talks about how uh, you know, he was a Christian and he was invited into this, this group and he, they were getting to know each other and they were sharing prayer requests, all right? Now, maybe you're not comfortable with that and, and this was a stage in his life where he wasn't very comfortable with it and so it, the, it, the, the, the circle was sharing these requests and it got around to him and he shared all these requests about his friends and his family and all of that and, and the leader wisely called him out, just gently wisely called him out and said, there, there's nothing about you in that. He said, you're not beyond the grace of God. You're not beyond God's charity. Oh, that stings, doesn't it? Isn't it nice to be the, the one on the giving end? It feels good, you know, when you're the one taking the meal, right? Isn't it sort of humbling when somebody shows up at your door and you've been down or something like that or, and, and, or maybe you're, you've been sick and you, you kind of want to answer the door yourself and say, oh, yeah, I didn't really need that, but thank you very much anyway. I mean, that's, that's pride, people. That's pride, isn't it? It's so much nicer to be the one delivering that casserole or whatever it is. You know, that maybe that's not the best image, but to be on the giving or receiving end of something, to be the one who's in need is hard. So we hide. We hide those needs. We hide them. You know, a lot of times, I think what, what Donald Miller was, was trying to say is that his, his view of grace was sort of this concept, this lofty concept. Right? And, and, and at one time, it got where it needed to go. It got in the place of his need. It got personal. But he, didn't, he wasn't continuing to grow in grace because of his pride. He thought he was beyond the need. No one's beyond the reach of God's grace. And none of us is beyond 
the need for it. So that's one reason why we hide. We, instead of getting the help we need, we hide from grace. Here is the second reason. The second reason that we, we hide is sometimes we're just afraid. We're afraid of what we're going to find. If we start admitting that need, if we start looking below the waterline of that need, we, we're afraid of what we're going to find. It's kind of like the person who won't go to the doctor, right? Or go to the dentist, let's put it that way. It's like the person who won't go to the dentist, right? There's a little bit of a toothache or something like that, and, and they, they're, they're kind of going, no, it's fine, I'll just take a little Advil, and they keep kicking that can down the road. And they won't go to the dentist, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And it could turn into a much bigger problem, right? You know that. You've been in this situation or you've, you've, you've seen somebody who's sort of in denial, right? They're in denial about the problem, the condition that they have. And so they just continue to treat the symptoms instead of the, the cause. This is not good. I went to Haiti one time with, uh, with a group of, of doctors and some others, and, and one of them was a maxillofacial surgeon who was, who was doing uh, special work for, for people who had abscessed teeth, okay? Now, this is, not, this is not pretty work, and so I'm going to give you this illustration without the gory detail that I had to uh, suffer through. But I, I, told, I told Dr. Tips, Steve Tips is the doctor, I told him, I said, I do blood, it's fine, I don't mind blood, but I just, I don't do infection, okay? I'm just not going to, because I was his assistant for the week. And I said, I'll, I'll be glad to see all the blood, that, but I, I, I'm, I'm no infection, okay? I'm just, I'm going to check out uh, or pass out um, if I see, you know, some kind of, you know what I mean by infection. I'm trying to make this, you know, a little tidier for a Sunday morning. And, and here comes this little boy whose face was so uh, asymmetrical because of an abscess. And Dr. Tips um, recognized what this was right away. And uh, I was not off the hook. And so I participated in dealing with this very difficult situation because he told me, he's, he pulled me aside. He said, this is, a, this is one of those situations. He said, you can leave if you want, but this is one of those situations where if we don't deal with this, this boy will die. Within weeks, this boy will die. And so I watched this doctor save a life because the need that sometimes we think is just a symptom that we can treat is so big and so deep, it needs real help. And sometimes we're afraid of what we're going to find if we dig into it. We're afraid of what we're going to find if we continue to pursue the need that we have for grace, right? We want to say, we just want to go over the same old ground. Oh, yes, Lord, yes, you died for me on the cross, and, and, all that. and, and that's good to continue to internalize that. I'm not saying that, that you're done with that, but what I'm saying is that there are places throughout your life that are broken, that continue to, to, to pinch other people, that continue to trip you up because you're not willing, you're, you're either too prideful, I'm too prideful, or too afraid to see what's there. But here, is, here it is, what, what Jesus is doing. He's taking on the role of high priest. The whole book of Hebrews, now let me give you just a tip for reading this book of Hebrews. Go back and read the whole thing. It's one long sentence, really. It's a long argument that talks about Jesus being the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament religious system. 
that there wasn't really a religious system apart from the fulfillment of the Messiah, that the high priest was also the lamb. What was the high priest? The high priest is the one who would take once a year on Yom Kippur to bring man and God back together to, to, to pay the penalty, would take that unblemished lamb and take him into behind those thick curtains of the holy of holy, not just into the holy place where the, the bread of the presence was, not just into the holy place, into that tabernacle where, where the light uh, uh, where, 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 the, where the light was, uh, was showing upon the bread of the presence, not just into that holy place, but the holy of holy places, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where Aaron's rod was, where the mercy seat was, where the angel's wings uh, you know, pressed out towards one another to, to, to symbolize the, the, the very presence of God. How is God present with his people? A holy God present with a broken people, how is it? Is it because of a lamb that was broken for our sake? It was because of Jesus, the high priest, becoming the lamb, going into the holy of holies to sacrifice that lamb himself. You see, this is what's happening. Lewis Smedes puts it this way in a very personal way. He says, Lewis Smedes writes about forgiveness. That's kind of his area of of expertise, he says, when you forgive someone, you slice away the wrong from the person who did it. Think about that for a minute. When you forgive someone, you slice away the wrong from the person who did it. You're, you're, you're saying to yourself, there's something that happened and, and somebody did something wrong, but I'm going to see the person as separate from the wrong that they did. It's powerful. It's just incredible to see somebody do that. And, and, and we don't have time this morning, but I was going to read a couple of stories about people who forgave the deepest wounds. And you can see what happens is they, they, they begin to see the person again as a person. They, they see their humanity and they don't reduce them to the, the deed. And see, this is what Jesus does. You disengage that person. Smeeds goes on. You disengage that person from the, his hurtful act. You recreate him isn't that something just talking about forgiveness you can begin to see what's happening in the holy of holies you can see what's happening on the cross you can see what's happening through the cross and resurrection you can see what's happening at this very table every time we receive the bread and the cup you recreate him at one moment you identify him as eradicably as the person who did you wrong and the next moment you change that identity. He is remade in your memory. But fear and pride, don't let it keep you from pursuing grace. Don't let it keep you from growing in grace. Don't let it keep you from, from allowing God, that surgeon, that, 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 that eternal, loving, careful surgeon, separate you from your infections. Continue in grace. That's what's so difficult about grace. Now, what's so amazing about grace is that he actually can help you now, not just get you to hide the symptoms more, not just to manage your sin, with sin not just a tissue for your sniffle, but real antibiotics for what's ailing you and causing the problems. That's what's so amazing about grace, that God is able, through his grace, his unmerited favor, to 
give you real help here and now. Now, I, I want to I dig into one word here because this is so critical, critically important for you to understand how to pursue grace, how to continue to grow in grace. And, and the word here is sympathy. I want to contrast that with the word empathy. If you go to the NIV, you'll see this passage uh, translated uh, in a different way as empathy versus sympathy. And I, I was thinking about this. Why, what is the difference between sympathy and empathy? Now, some of you all know this. But let me, let me explain to you the difference between sympathy and empathy. S- empathy is when, when you understand somebody else's feelings, but you don't necessarily share them, right? All right? You understand their feelings, but you don't necessarily feel what they're feeling. So you come upon somebody who's very he's mad at somebody else, and you say, well, I know what it's like to be mad at somebody, but I'm not mad at that person, right? But sympathy is different. Now, I, I don't know if you're like me, and before I explain what sympathy is, but I kind of like empathy more than sympathy because I think of sympathy as having this connotation of being pitied, right? Or pitying somebody, but that's not it at all. You see, whereas empathy understands somebody else's feelings but doesn't share those feelings, sympathy both understands somebody's feelings and shares those feelings. A holy God, a broken people, a holy God who becomes incarnate, takes on flesh, and not only to empathize with us so that he can understand where we're coming from, but can actually experience and feel what we're feeling. He's done it. To feel the very temptations of your heart, the things that pull you away from him, and yet to be without sin. You say, Tim, that, that sounds powerful, but how does that change me? How does, that, how does that grace get in? I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And I, I see the difference between empathy and sympathy and that God in, in human flesh, Jesus came to empathize with us so he could fully understand. But how does that get in and, and, and make, a, make a real difference, not just to the symptoms, but to the cause? How does that change me? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Imagine that you're in a conversation with somebody. Let me explain to you how, how empathy actually, how sympathy actually makes a difference. Imagine that, that you're in a conversation with somebody or you're watching a conversation. I've watched this hundreds of times and I've, I've walked people through as a mediator, just walking through a conversation where people are in conflict, they're divided, and they're trying to figure out how to understand each other. And what are they doing? They're, they're just sort of giving their points of view. Point of view A, point of view B. When you stop talking, I'll tell you the reality. When, 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 you, when you're done with your turn, I'm going to take my turn and set you straight. And around and around she goes, right? But what happens when point of view A gets shared And person B, instead of sharing point of view B, says, I wonder if I can tell this person a little bit from from me, just put a little bit of energy into telling them that I understand where they're coming from. And not only that, (laughs) 
I share. I don't just empathize with what you're feeling. I share in those feelings. I have watched this dozens of times happen where people are completely crossed up and this person is so mad at the other person. And just because this person said, I, I, I hear what you're saying and it sounds like you're, you're experiencing this and I understand what you're talking about and I'm, I can understand. And, and, and not only that, I felt that same way. And I've watched this person who is so mad completely, that, that, that anger completely dissolve. Powerful. Just a powerful reconnection of relationship. You see, that's what God is offering to us. He's offering us in this very time and place the sure and certain confidence that he understands exactly what you're experiencing when you're falling, when you're being tempted. He understands exactly. You say, Tim, is that really powerful? Is it really that powerful? I mean, my temptations seem like, they just seem like they're just sort of hardened, right? Like a sidewalk, right? Like if an acorn falls on a sidewalk out there, right? I mean, what chance does an acorn have against the sidewalk? Well, you should go look at some of those oak trees and what they're doing to that sidewalk out there. See, when what I'm saying, when, when you recognize that what God is saying is that, that grace is being offered to you, and when you realize that God actually empathizes, he understands what you're experiencing in your difficulties, in your temptations, in your feelings, your anger, then, then you're beginning to open yourself up. You're beginning to open up the soil to the acorn of grace that over time, as you begin to continue to pursue grace and grow in it, it will break that sidewalk in half. Go look. Go look after the worship service and see what those oak trees are doing. That's, that's the life he's being offered He's offering to you a new life that grows and breaks up the old. That's why, that's why Paul says to the Corinthian church, the old is gone. Behold, the new is come. It's come and it continues to come. As we turn to this table, these are the means of grace. This bread, this cup, they're outward signs. They're the acorn that says, let me in all the way in to your life. In those places where you continue to hide, let me bring real help. That's why Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat, and whenever you do, remember me, Jesus said. Same way he took the cup and pouring it out, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Not just on stone, not just an external, but written on the tablet of the human heart. Take and drink, and whenever you do, remember me, Jesus said. For as often as we receive this bread and drink from this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so this morning, I invite you to come row by row, front to back. Everyone will come by way of the center aisle. You'll come forward. So if you're on the side, you'll go backwards to the back, and then you'll come down the, the center aisle. 
the, the elders will come forward. They'll be in, in two different stations here on the left and right. You'll take one of these wafers. You'll dip it in the cup, receive it, and then proceed back to your, uh, your seat by way of the side aisle. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bring your blessing upon these common elements, that we, as we receive this bread and drink from this cup, we might experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. For we pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Jesus said, come to the table. I bid you.